so good to him. So with that, Marnie, why don't you come? Bless you, my brother. Thanks, Pastor. Well, it is, uh, <clears throat> it's exciting to be here. Uh, Joel and Rosalie send their greetings. Um, they're up in uh, Wausau doing what they did here, helping a church to prepare for new leadership. And uh, I, uh, I love my brother-in-law, Joel, and my sister-in-law. And, of course, uh, Joel and my wife, Jan, our brother and sister. But I'm here today uh, on assignment. You know, I, uh, <clears throat> I really probably can't preach you a, a sermon that you, many of you that are veteran Christians that you haven't heard. You know, I, I make this statement not to demean anyone, but most Christians are educated far above their level of performance. And really what God called us to do is to build this church. As Pastor mentioned, it's really not about bigness. It's about the lost. And uh, I was a youth pastor at Bethel Tabernacle. Now they've moved out and called something else. But the reality is I've always been hungry to see people come to Christ. I was born and raised a Lutheran and got some really good training, actually. But then when I came to know Christ, all that, I was confirmed. I went to Sunday school. When we traveled as a family, we would go to another Lutheran church, get a card filled out so we could take it back to Sturgeon Bay Baby Lutheran Church, hand the card in so I could get my Sunday school pin for attendance and all that kind of stuff. I, I knew a lot about it. It was in my head, but it wasn't in my heart. It really didn't affect my life. January 3rd, 1967, in a restaurant with Rich Wilkerson's dad. Some of you might know who Rich is. His dad, John Wilkerson, led me to Christ. And uh, <clears throat> I did a rapid 180. My girlfriend cut me loose because she said I was no fun anymore. Because worldly fun isn't the kind of fun that we line up with. And uh, got quickly involved in the, in the church. And uh, from the day I got saved, realizing how important it was not to be religious, but to be saved. And uh, we live in a very religious area. Uh, people are religious. I believed it. I believed in the Trinity. I believed in the virgin birth, all of that stuff. But that's not enough. So from the very beginning, and it's been a long time, uh, that I've been a Christian, I've had a hunger to see lost people reach the Lord. There's a, there was an old guy in our church, Ray would remember, called Nat Olson. Uh, Nat had a ministry called Family Time Ministry that revolved around, this was for families, from the passage in Acts, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved and your household. And uh, Nat was in the church there, hammered that into my head. And then I really thought, man, we got to see people saved. Uh, have any, any of you ever read the book, The Circle Maker? Uh, there's another, Mark Batterson, who pastors a, a multi-campus church in Washington, D.C. In fact, they meet in movie theaters. In fact, when I was helping my son start a church in Salt Lake City uh, a number of years ago, uh, we met in a, th in a theater. It was very nice, though. Even had 25,000 square foot of rooms, and it was fabulous. But we went out and saw him. And now he has a, a new teaching out, a great men's teaching, if you have a men ministry, called Play the Man. And uh, we uh, started that at a church I sometime attend when I'm not traveling and speaking uh, in Green Bay. And he made this illustration. And I want to I get you cooking on that. And I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do because a lot of what I'm going to share with you later is something I've developed over the years on how to reach people for Christ. Friends, family, neighbors, business uh, people, uh, associates at work, I have developed a 
simple thing that you can do, a habit. In fact, I'm just writing a new little mini book called <clears throat> The Seven Highly Effective Habits of Soul Winners. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm just finishing it up for something I'm doing in San Diego in a, about two weeks. But the Lord has really, really put this on my heart, how to reach more people for Jesus. And uh, so that's what I've done all my ministry. So over all of these years, and I'm older than dirt, uh, I'm 73 years old, but I'm still cooking. And I'm going to keep on cooking until I can't cook no more, right? But anyhow, so over the years of developing this, we've seen thousands and thousands of people come to Christ. I'm not saying that because I'm anything special. I was born in Sturgeon Bay, Wisconsin. I had no spiritual roots relative to being born again. I was the shyest of six kids. And I really believe that scripture that he will make you to become. It isn't like when you you see someone, well, that person is, is a natural. I think God can make you something you didn't think you could be. So over the years, we've seen a lot of people come to Christ. I pastored a number of churches, pioneered a few, started a few. Uh, The last one that I personally started, now I helped my son start a church in Salt Lake City, which is thriving. I'm speaking there when the Milwaukee Bucks play the Utah Jazz on November, I think it's Friday night, the 8th of November. I'm going to the game. And I'm actually doing their chapel because I know the chaplain for the Utah Jazz. And I've got great box seats because I know a Mormon car dealer out there that loves me and gave me his box seats for the game. It's going to be great. (laughs) But what what happens? Okay, when we moved to Green Bay, I was 46 years old. And I pastored a large Assembly of God church in Salem, Oregon. And I really felt like God wanted me to start a church in Green Bay. At that time, the largest evangelical church in Green Bay had about 350 people, community church. And uh, there was a number of churches in the city. We came to town. I brought people with me. I brought a a finance guy. I brought a youth pastor. And I said, I'll pay you. But I figure we'll run out of money in a year and a half if the church doesn't do something. So then we'll get other jobs. Okay? And let me just give you. So we were there 16 years before we moved to Utah. And when we moved to Utah in 2006, there was over 4,000 people that called that church their church. And it wasn't that we reshuffled the church population. It was we saw a lot of people come to Christ. 88% of the people that attended our church were Catholic. 10% that attended were Lutheran or something else. And we were brand X because we weren't like you talked about. But we believe God. And, And so I just developed a very simple program that I led and got our people to buy into. But back to Mark Batterson real quickly. He used this illustration. He said... He and his family in Washington go to the Washington Zoo often. He said it's unbelievable. He said they've got great things that they have built for all of the animals. And you look and it's just, it's just a joy to see these animals and all of the things that have been built for them and how they function. And then he said we took a vacation to the Galapagos Islands. And he said then we saw these same animals or many of them functioning in their natural environment. And then he said this. He said, the church is a little like the zoo. He said, we build the buildings, we have the programs, we set up the stuff, and that's basically where we stay. We're like this. Now, we need to really get a vision to reach the lost. And uh, after the potluck today, I'm going to give you about an hour of practical, practical tips that you can use on your family, on your friends, 
at your workplace, how to have a strategy. Most people have a lot of strategies and retirement stat- strategy. We have retirement uh, things that we do. We have strategies for our jobs. But how many of you really have a family personal strategy? I don't care how old you are, how young you are, to reach the lost, to reach your neighbors. What can I do? And we're going to circle around a very interesting scripture from 1 Peter 3.15. It says, always prepare, be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason of the hope that's within you. Now, I prepared this little book. I call it Aware, how to be aware of your surroundings. And we're going to go through this. But they're out in the foyer. They're $10 a piece. And uh, all proceeds go to feed a hungry family, mine. And if you can't afford the book, I'll give you one. Uh, husband and wife can get one, or if you're single, or, or if you've got friends. This stuff really works. And it will inspire you to, to do something that you haven't done. And uh, so I'm going to just share another little, um, my message. I'll give you the title in the morning because I've got to have you walking by quarter after. Thank God there's no Packer game today, right? It was a little, little squeamish on Thursday night. I was their chaplain for a while. Did you know that? When Reggie White was there, and we had a lot of fun. Reggie was, attended our church, and man, a great guy, man of God. But anyhow, uh, I think I heard a statement made, made me sick. Last year, someone made the statement that the NFL now is more popular on Sundays than church. That should really make you sick. Because it's just a bunch of guys getting paid a lot of money, more zeros on their paycheck than you have on yours, unless you're extraordinarily rich here today. But um, I think we just really got to get with it. But anyhow, I wrote this book called The Favor Factor. I've written a couple other books that are, uh, I've got ordered. They haven't come in yet as far as the stuff was gone. But this one's sort of fun, The Favor Factor. What is favor? I explained the whole thing about favor. Favor is a word that's been dragged through the trough of carnality. I had a guy come up to me at church a number of years ago in Green Bay and said, Oh, pastor, I was at the mall this week. And he said, I found a $100 bill. It's a favor of God. I said, no, it's not. Ask the poor sucker that lost that $100 bill if it's, if it's a favor of God. And uh, for those of you that are Packer fans, you might like to... Uh, I tell the story on how I led Ray Nitschke to the Lord uh, in, in this book. Uh, Ray was an interesting character. His wife came to our church, got saved. The first time I met Ray uh, was at a Packer game. Here's what he said to me. He said, my wife likes you, therefore I will like you. But Christianity is a bunch of BS. And he didn't abbreviate. He said, okay? So I tell that story. It's sort of fun. But today I want to talk to you about, let's make the local church great again. Maybe you've heard, hello, are you there? Let's make the local church great again. Now, I'm not saying that it's not good. I'm not saying that it doesn't do great things. But how do we make the local church great again? What will really get us cooking? What will get us to the point where you can't come late? Every seat will be filled. There'll be people out on the parking lot at 7.30 in the morning with grills, grilling hot dogs and bratwurst and and, and getting so excited to get in and get their seat and get ready for Pastor Mark Larson to to, to just take you to another level in the spirit and send you out. Come on now. Is that so crazy? I've seen it all. For years, I served on the board of the Full Gospel Church in Seoul, Korea. Dr. David Youngie Cho, my goodness sakes, 850,000 members in one church. I think the whole 
metropolis of Milwaukee has about that. Think about that for a minute. A simple Korean guy who got saved during the World War, uh, Korean War, Assembly of God missionary led him to Christ, and it's unbelievable. You go to church and you come out, and there's an, it's like going to a Packer game and have another group of Packers coming, uh, coming into another game and another one and another one. So why can't we do something to make our church fired up for God? You know what I mean? Ultimately, the bottom line is this. What we do for God is what's going to last. How do we make the American church great again? Let me read you some very sad statistics. Um, it's... Listen to this. The United States currently has the lowest church affiliation since records have been kept. Now, all we hear about is mega churches and big churches and spectacular things happen. But the down-to-earth matter of fact is it's the lowest of ever. 50% of Americans have no church home. Think about that. Now, if you were going to start a business and your business offered something that 50% of the people needed, man, it Hello? Think about that for a minute. Fewer and fewer people consider themselves believers who are plugged into a local church. They go because, well, it's a good thing to do. It looks good. I went to church today. You know what I mean? But does it affect their... I can't imagine coming to church and not knowing the Lord, but I did for the first 21 years of my life. Every year, 2.7 million church members fall into inactivity. Think about that. Man, if we could just get the inactives back, we couldn't build buildings fast enough. Can I get a witness from the congregation? 85% of churches have plateaued or are shrinking. 50% of all U.S. churches did not add a single new member in the last two years. Now, I'm sure that's not the case here, but can we do more? Should we be doing more? Should we, you know, just, you know, get another spiritual sandwich or a spiritual steak and digest it, but not use that spiritual power to reach out and reach others for Christ? I think that's a shame. Now, one of the things about not pastoring anymore, I have a gift of irritation. I'm here to irritate you today. I'm here to get you back to praying that prayer, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. And create in me a clean heart, O oh God, so that I might be more effective for you. I have a plan. I don't know when I'm going to die. I'm not looking forward to the act of death itself, because I don't know. But if I'm in a hospital, I want to lead the doctors and the nurses to Jesus. Right? I mean, I've got all kinds of little fun things that I do. I travel in an airport. And so, you know how sometimes it's packed before you get on a plane. There's an empty seat. And I'm sitting there one day, and a guy says to me, he said, is that seat saved? I said, I don't even know if it goes to church. I mean, <laughs> we, we, and they laugh. But, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, you might as well have fun being a Christian, right? How do we make the local church great again? If you have your Bibles, open to Acts 16, 17, excuse me, verses 1 through 6. We're going to share quickly three things. Now, again, unless, unless, you, unless you've got something really serious to do, we'll have a lot of fun in that hour, hour and ten minutes that it takes me to whip through this stuff. I'm not going to go through the whole book, but I'm going to give you highlights. I'll give you five or maybe ten things that you can, you can institute right away. You don't have to be the most outgoing, the most charismatic, the most verbose person, but all of us, 
should be having an effect on people for Christ, right? Are you there? So that's what we're going to share, this, and that's what I've lived, and that's what I've taught people. And then one of the real benefits of teaching people this, the people that find Christ that way figure it out and say, oh, that's how they got me. I'm, oh, that's natural. I'm going to do the same thing. And it just sort of snowballs, and people start rolling in, and it's exciting. And you bring your friends and those, your associates and the people that work for you. Now, you're not telling them you've got to come to our church, you're going to hell. No. You get them to the point where they will ask you, why are you like you are? And then, see, we, we've turned the thing down. We have these evangelism classes. We go knock. I remember Bible college, you know, the Lord's knocking on your heart. I remember that, you know. And by the, when you're doing that, they want to hit you. They're to ask you the reason of the hope that's within you. Now, this is, just, this is a paid commercial for this thing after lunch. And I tell you, you'll be blessed. All right? Are you ready to rumble? Do you ever go to the... My wife doesn't like me watching boxing. She thinks it's too bad. You know, so, you know what I mean? She hasn't seen that cage stuff, man. That is really <laughs> wild. But you know, the guy comes out with his penguin suit on. The mic comes down. And he says, let's get ready to... Oh, some of you have been watching that after all, huh? So what are we going to do? Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 6. I do have glasses, but I don't have to wear them all the time. I had cataract surgery. I didn't even know I had cataracts. I had a dog that had them, and his eyes were milky. Mine weren't milky. But I do have glasses. I don't need to wear them all the time. Sort of nice. In fact, one of my neighbors in Salt Lake City said, Oh, Arnie, you're not wearing... Glasses anymore. I said, I had cataract surgery. He said, did it work? I said, yeah, Sean. I thought you were a black guy before. (laughs) Well, we better get to this (laughs) because Acts chapter 17. Let's pray. Father, bless your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Then when they had passed through Amophilia, and I got to look close because I can and Aphelia, they came to Thessalonica where there were, was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, as his habit was, went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them for, from the scriptures, exclaiming and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and, again from the, and raise again from the dead, saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. Verse 5. But the Jews who were persuaded became, who were not persuaded, became envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathered a mob, set all the city in an uproar, attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brethren and the rulers of the city, crying, These who have turned the world upside down have come here too. Are they saying about our church today, those people are turning the world upside down? I'd say right side up. There was a, a situation, there was great persecution. Uh, your pastor was a missionary. I've missionaries that tell these unbelievable stories about persecution and all kinds of stuff. But we need to get a hold of how to make the church great again. Number one thing you've got to stop doing is compromising. That's number one. My mother-in-law, Joel's mom, <laughs> it's sort of interesting because I came in. Can I walk down here? 
I don't know if this thing will feed back. We hope it doesn't. Joel's mom, Alice. When I got saved, I told you my girlfriend cut me loose, right? Because I wouldn't do the things that we were doing before I got saved. And, you know, I hadn't read a lot, but a lot of that Lutheran teaching came back. The Bible became real and alive to me because I knew the author, right? So I get saved right out of the world. Bang. Joel's sister, beautiful lady, went to Central Bible College, was engaged to some patriarch's kid, and he, they, he dear John her right after she graduated. It, and my wife's very pretty. If you saw her, she's very pretty even yet. You know, the trips around the sun have been kind to her. Are you okay today? So now, even Pastor Wilkerson, he, he said, Arnie, you're picking a little too high on the fruit tree there. He said, I got this girl over here. I said, you know, John, you led me to Christ. I'll take care of this side of my life. My father-in-law, Joel's dad, I had been dating Jan about three months. And he says to Jan, he said, you can do better than that. Better than moi. Now, I understand the reason now. At the time, I, I didn't because they had raised her for Jesus Christ with no compromise. We got married when she was 23 and she was a virgin. I'm telling you, and they were worried that some guy that came in, got saved, wouldn't stick, mess with their daughter, right? But my mother-in-law said to my father-in-law, and she was a Bible teacher, she said, leave him alone. He listens and he wants everything we have. My father-in-law spent the last five years of his life living in an apartment we built in our home. Whenever I would travel or leave or wasn't around, he'd always say to Jan, when's Arnie coming home? When's Arnie coming home? But here's the deal. Compromise. When I got saved, I quit drinking. I quit smoking. And you know that? I was smoking cigarettes before they put it on the side of the pack that these suckers will kill you. Really. Man, I cut all that stuff loose. Bam! I got converted and then compromised. I have seen such compromise come into the church. Now, I'm not a fuddy-duddy. I've got friends. I'll go to people's houses where they're drinking and doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I want to be a light there. Are you with me? I'm going to teach you some things you can do in that realm this afternoon. But compromise leads to defeat. Don't compromise with your kids. You know, our kids, they were active in school. They did a lot of things. But they were in our youth group on Wednesday night. My son was our youth pastor when the thing really got cooking. He had 400 kids coming to his youth group. He had to run three youth services on Wednesday night starting at 5 o'clock until we built him a bigger building. But we didn't compromise. We taught zero sex before marriage. It's, after, it's okay after marriage. That's how you get these kids and stuff. Are you there? Well, some of you knew that already, I'm sure. Zero sex, zero drugs, zero alcohol. Because that stuff, is, it's bad news. Bad news. My mother came from a family of 16 kids. All single shots. No litters or nothing. I did my grandmother's funeral. She had 169 grandchildren and great-grandchildren at the time. I did Oh, man. Are you there? But the reality is this. You can't compromise. You see, when you don't compromise, at some point, people are going to say to you, why are you different? But see, if you, if you think, well, I've got to be just like them so that they'll listen to me, that's a bunch of bunk. I mean, you have got to take biblical stands. We didn't compromise the gospel in our church in Green Bay to get a crowd. 
We had altar calls. We believed in people speaking in tongues. Now, we weren't crazy. We didn't have them swinging from the chandeliers or anything. But the reality is, we allowed God to move. I preached the gospel in an uncompromising way. I got involved in city stuff. And when I left town, they gave me a key to the city. Can you believe it? I don't know what it opened. I tried to get into the vault downtown Green Bay. It didn't open anything down there. Why? Because we touched kids. We took stands against stuff. Are you with me? You cannot compromise. You see, when you compromise, things fall apart. Let's take a quick look here. And I'm not going to keep you real long because I'm hungry. You know, the danger of having these kind I walked in and I started to drool this morning. I, I, I just, I, I, I smelt all that good stuff going on. And I, I thought, holy man, this is, this is a place where they got good food. You know, it's just there. And, and. I want to save time, so I'll just paraphrase. But Paul, Timothy was his son in the ministry. He said, hold a straight thing. You see, people are looking for stuff. The world's messed up. And they're looking for someone to say, this is a good way to live your life. I want to tell you, friends, I I love Salt Lake City, Utah. I pastored there years ago, before I went to Oregon, before I came to Green Bay. And then when... uh, we were in 16 years in Green Bay. My, God, my son got called to go to start a church in Green Bay. He just fell, I mean, in Salt Lake. So we moved back to Salt Lake. I love Salt Lake. I love Mormons. Are you there? But I want to tell you what, you can learn a lot from the Mormons. Tithing's not an option. I got a whole deal on that. I mean, if you're not tithing, you're robbing God. It's just that simple. And God loves you, but he's the last guy I want to rob. I'd rather pick your pocket than take his. <laughs> I told you I've got the gift of irritation all over me. I'll tell you about that Mormon car dealer that's giving me his seats to the jazz game. His name is Blake Murdoch. He has three Hyundai dealerships, a Ford dealership, a uh, Volkswagen dealership, and a GMC dealership. 35 years old. Got a lot of money. Good guy. He loves me, and I love him. He's not far from the kingdom. The kids don't get a cell phone until they're 18. Are you there? They have one computer in the house. And the kids have to sign on and sign off. And they, but you know what? I was just out there a few weeks ago and uh, stayed with him. And, man, it's impressive to be around his family. I, 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 now, I'm not saying he knows the Lord yet. I'm just saying there are principles that they adhere to that are very good. And so the reality is there's no compromise. It leads to defeat. Paul, Paul constantly included that. Political. we got a war going on politically. Are you with me? We do. Now, I'm a conservative. If someone is for for abortion, I won't vote for them. I don't care if it would pad my pockets, give me more money back. I'm not voting for them. Are you with me? That's that simple. In 1998, they named 10 churches in America that they wanted to take their tax-exempt status from. We were one of them. Why? Because I had the political figures come in. I interviewed them on our platform. From guys running for governor, senate, whatever, I had them in and interviewed them. Now, the liberals usually wouldn't come because they, you know what I mean? And then we, let, we, let, we had political rallies at our church. Now, they just rented the building. I charged them a severe amount of money, $1 to rent our church. So they went after us. They want to take our tax exempt status. One day the phone rang and I, I was shocked. I thought the secretary was joking. She says, there's some guy on the phone named James, Jay Sekulow. Let's talk to you. 
It was him. And you know what he told me? He said, Arnie, you didn't do one thing wrong. They're trying to intimidate and manipulate you. And he said, if they take you to court, you'll have 200 of the finest lawyers in America behind you and it won't cost your church a dime. Because I want to tell you what, compromise on every level has led us to a very different... If there's anything good about being older, and there is, you know, stuff that used to be here, now it's dropped a few inches, you know, that goes. <laughs> Are you okay? <laughs> it's that I've seen a lot happen. I've seen the scripture that says there will come a day when they call right wrong and wrong right, and we're living right in the middle of it. And we need a massive move of God. We need people finding Jesus Christ in massive numbers in America if we're going to save this country. So what is the church's role? I used to tell people how I was going to vote. But I said, when you get in there and pull a little string behind you, you don't. But I use biblical, because we've comfort. I've had guys, and I preach in some big church, and they say, they know me, and they say, you know, Arnie, just stay off some of that stuff. And I, I do, because it's their hot. I mean, if Mark would have told me to stay off stuff today, I'd have stayed off it. I'd have grit my teeth, but I'd have stayed off it. So we can't compromise. I can go on and on and on. Secondly, we have to uh, live in forgiveness. I wrote a book, and I don't have any, they're coming from the thing called The High Cost of Resentment. The High Cost of Resentment. You know, we say we forgive, but do we really forgive? Do we? I'll just give you a, what what time is it? Seven after? Is that what it is? I got all of eight minutes left. My goodness. Resentment's a killer. It's rampant in the church. People say they forgive, but they, they got people, they got pastors they don't like. I got people that resent me. I could give you a list of people who don't like me. They got all kinds of stuff going on, and they hold on to these things, and it kills them. It robs their life. I never had resentment. I left from Green Bay. How many of you heard of Laugh Your Way to a Better Marriage, Mark Unger? Mark was one of my assistants. I helped Mark get Laugh Your Way started, got him his first gigs out in the big world. And now he's all over the world, traveling. He's a rock star in South Africa, doing big events all over. And so when I left Green Bay, prior to about six years before I left, our church leadership said, Pastor, you came here, you were older, we are going to, um, we're going to pay you half your salary until you die. Well, nice, thank you. I turned the church over to Mark, moved to Utah with my family. I'm there two months. I get a registered letter from him saying we're not going to do that. Now we're in Salt Lake. And my son was on staff. They were going to pay him for a year, not one year. Now this church takes in millions. They were going to pay him for a year. They decided not to do that. Now here we are in Utah to start a church. And what are we going to do? My son-in-law and daughter are there. They're music people, very talented. Here we are, great group. And now everything's just been slammed shut. My wife, bless her heart, Joel's sister, she said, we went out. I said, what are we going to do, honey? She said, here's what we're going to do. We have, now it's a lot of money to me, over all of the years of ministry with, you know, savings and, and investments and stuff and equity in our home, we had 400000 bucks. To me, that was a big chunk of dough. And it, I think it would be to any of you today, Right? So she said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to pay the kids like they got a job. All right. And when they find a place to rent for the church, we're going to pay that until they meet their budget. 
took them three years to meet their budget. The rent of the place was 14,000 bucks a month that we rented. Think about it. Oh! And when they met the budget, I had $10,000 left. I'm 65 years old, 10 grand left, traveling, speaking. I wanted to string Mark Gunger up by his Puerto Rican toes. <laughs> right? I did. He's got an airplane. I thought, man, if he crashes that airplane, I mean, I didn't really think that. <laughs> Here's the deal. Here's the deal. I came to grips with that. I forgave Mark. I speak there. We are great friends. He's paying me a little bit. That's okay. It wasn't about that. But it, what I saw in that depth of that despair was what's gripping people. So I wrote this book, The High Cross of Resentment. See, resentment will kill you. It will kill you. Sometime maybe Mark would have, that's the most powerful message I preach when I go anywhere is the high cost of resentment, apart from seeing people come to Christ. So then lastly, and we'll, have, we'll touch on some of this stuff when I'm speaking, we must come together as Christians across all borders. You know what I mean? Pentecostals, non-Pentecostals. I've got friends who pastor Lutheran churches. We have a guy in Green Bay named Tom Truckee. Tom is an amazing Christian. He's, he has the, and he, under my leadership, is in the Catholic Church. I would say in the last three years, they've seen at least 2,000 Catholics come to Christ. The bishop in Green Bay is born again, spirit-filled. He said, Tom, go out and talk to him about Jesus. Talk to him about the Holy Spirit. You see what I mean? And he's found a podium to reach more people probably than a lot of pastors who are preaching in churches in Green Bay. You know, we got to lock arms. We're in this together. When we get to heaven, there's not going to be an Assembly of God corner, Southern Baptist, Methodist. It, it's going to be believers. That, and you'll be shocked. There are going to be a lot of Lutherans there that came to Christ. One of the things happens with sometimes older Lutherans is it finally hits them. Oh, my goodness. You know what I mean? Not always, but here's the deal. We have got to just lock arms. We've got to get to the point where, hey, we're in this together. As our church grew in Green Bay and, and we had a lot of stuff happening. Man, we had an orchestra. We had, a, we, had, we had a guy doing arrangements for our worship people. That was a guy named Terry Winch, an amazing guy. We had all that stuff. People would come and they'd love our church. But they say, I want to, we had things that they just didn't fit in. So I would say, hey, why don't you go to Central Assembly? What about going over to this other church? They could use you. They could really help you. And then there were people that we were too big and they came for a while. I would encourage them, go somewhere. They we're all in this together, right? And there were some I were happy that were left. You know, and there was, you know, but anyhow, the, the point is we got to lock arms and do this together. Now, what will draw people to you is when you begin to experience, as a body of believers, outreach like never before. Where Dave, David, all of a sudden, this takes about six months. To, what I'm going to teach you today, to get into your system and to begin to see results, all of a sudden, you have three or four people sitting here, and they, came, they were from your work or your neighborhood. And they saw something so unique in you. And I'll tell you story after story of how I, and I lead this. Mark, you're not off the hook here just because you're the pastor. Suzanne, Suzanne yeah. I, I, you know, I thought you were black, but I got this thing. No. <laughs> no. 
You know, so that's why I want you to stick around. I want you to be a part of making the local church great again, breaking outside of these walls. You know, just when you go out, you got to think, man, who can I bring? Who can I touch? When I went to Green Bay and started the church, I rode around Lambeau Field. I've always been a Packer fan. I was raised in Sturgeon Bay during Bart Starr and all those guys and Ray Nitschke and Paul Horning and all of them. At Nitschke's funeral, a lot of those guys got saved. Some of you might have watched it on TV years ago. You might not remember. I was younger then. They, they suspended broadcasting throughout the state, and we did Ray's funeral live. Mike McCoy, a great believer, used to be an offensive lineman for them. He came up to me after the service and said, Arnie, man, these people, there's so many of my friends were touched today because of Ray's story. But the point is, friends, we have got to reach. And I remember riding around the stadium, and I knew that the G on the helmet... For a lot of people in this state, it's their God. It's, ter- it's not good. It's not good. I don't rise and fall with it. I mean, I like to see them win. But the reality is, we've got to get above that. So we're like three weeks old, and Sarah White came to our church. Now, Sarah was half African-American, half Spanish. Sarah and I have a birthday the same day. We're close friends to this day. She just got remarried recently. But here's the deal. God used Ray because people were crazy about him. I had him preach, man, we would hang him from the chandeliers. And he would shake everybody's hand. And, and yet it was, it was a vehicle. There are a lot of vehicles out there. In Green Bay, it happened to be the Packers. I don't know what, you find what it is where you live and you hit it. You work it. I live in a, we, in a new neighborhood. I've already tipped, my word for leading people to Christ is tip them over. I tipped over my neighbor who was mad at the Catholic Church because he came home from Vietnam and they wouldn't deliver the, his wife's baby at the Catholic hospital, so he's mad at Catholics forever, right? I mean, I, I could go on and on and I'm going to tell you a bunch of this stuff after we eat. <laughs> what time is it? Well, you got a picture of me. That's a pretty wild coat. I almost wore that today, but I thought maybe you were a little bit too conservative. But the picture, look at that picture in the back. That thing is, oh, man, it looked like I was... Selling cars, right? <laughs> All right. We're going to close this way. Stand up. Because I really came to do what we're going to do right after lunch. How many think it would be a good idea to stick around? We'll have fun. You'll laugh. If you don't stay, that means you don't care about your neighbors, your family, your friends for Christ. So I'll be out there at the door saying, oh, you heathen, you don't care about. No, I really wouldn't do that. I think about it, though. All right? But we talked about how to make the local church great again. We can't compromise. If there's any compromise in your heart, every head bowed, every heart. Every, every head bowed, every eye closed. You say, you know what, Pastor Arnie, there are a few areas in my life. I've been looking at some stuff on my computer. I've been going to some movies that really aren't uplifting. And there were years ago I wouldn't do that. Now I've just sort of written it off. How many heads are bowed, eyes are closed? Now I want... I'm, I'm not going to ask you what, how many have just ripped a hand and say, you know what, I've got to really quit the compromise stuff. Raise your hand. Well, that's a few of you. It's just a pretty spiritual church you got here, Mark. I'm pretty proud of you. Um, how many of you think that we need to really reach out and lock arms with other Christian pastors and even pastors that don't know the Lord yet? Would you raise your hand? That's almost unanimous. And then how many of you would say, you know, <clears throat> I haven't been much about outreach and reaching out. 
I come to church. I love the Lord. Pay your tithes, missions offering. Stuff a baby bottle full of coins. We did that in Salt Lake. God bless you. That's great. And those are all good things, but would say, you know what? God, I, I want to be involved in, in, in outreach and, and reaching people for God. And I, I want to I just listen with an open mind right after lunch. We won't keep you that long, but I, I really want to know. I got brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles. I'll tell you a story about doing a funeral on one of my mother's brothers with 700 people at the funeral and how many of my relatives got saved because I prayed and believed you, God. But Lord, I I pray now that you would just open our hearts, no matter what our age, even if if we're in a care home or if we walk with a walker or we're in a wheelchair, whatever, God, there's no hindrances for you to have people ask us, what's the deal with you? How many would like to live that way? Just raise your hand right now. God bless you. Father, I thank you today for Pastor Mark. My brother-in-law Joel is so high on him and the great work he's done following Paul Hansen. And Lord, we always want to thank you for the founder and thank you for your people, Lord. And, but it's a new day. Lord, we look back at the past, but we have to spin to the future. And Lord, Port Washington and these surrounding communities these wonderful religious people that really need to come to you. And Lord, I just pray that there would be a fresh anointing that would fall on this place. And I'm not here to get an honorarium or sell a few books. I'm here to honor you and to equip people. And now, Lord, we thank you for the food that's been prepared. Bless it as we partake in it, as we get to know people. May we reach out in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor?